0: We do have a guest with us this morning uh, that we're very excited about. Lauren is with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, she is a, a missionary to college students. And so uh, I know that when we think about uh, unreached people groups, a lot of times we think of uh, remote remote tribes out in, in the jungles of, of these third world countries. And those are very much so are unreached people groups that we want the Lord to reach. Uh, but as far as our cultural context, uh, college students are uh, some of the most unreached people group in our, in our culture, in our country. right? And so we're very grateful for the work that Lauren and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship do. Um, And so we've invited her to come speak about it to us a little bit. So would you join me in giving a warm Bethany welcome to Lauren? Come on up, Lauren. Great. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you, um, Pastor Steve. Yeah, announcements are one of the hardest things in church. Can we just give Pastor Steve one more round of applause? It really, it's a rough calling. Um, good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Lauren Watka-Atwood, and I get, to, um, I get to serve on a team. It's not just me, and I want to emphasize that. I work on a team of campus ministers with a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and our deep hope and passion is to reach every corner of every college campus with the real hope of Jesus. What that means for Bethany is, who knows the closest college campus? is about 15 minutes from here. Dean College. Yes. Oh, you know, I'm so glad. Dean College. There is a group of college students at Dean who some of them know Jesus. Most of them do not. But Varsity is passionate about building a community on campus so that they are witnesses. They are actually the missionaries because they are the ones in that culture. They're in that people group, and they are the one reaching their friends for Jesus. Um, I didn't uh, wasn't able to recruit some of them to join me this morning, um, but you can go to the next slide. I absolutely love people, and I don't take myself too seriously, so I wanted to show you this is my home group. This is uh, a past church home group. Um, I love hospitality and making place, places for people who might not otherwise be interested in Jesus or interested in faith to feel like they are welcome in all that they are and who they are. And this is what I get to do um, on the college campus. So, um, next slide. What's happening on campus right now? Many of you, actually, just raise of hands, how many of you have a uh, close friend or family member, loved one, who is a current college student? Actually, like raise them, it's a little bit hard to see folks here. Okay, we've got a, Okay, who um, sometime in the next five to ten years will know somebody who has gone through or is like college-aged? Raise your hand. All right. Okay, I figured there would be a few more um, coming in. Currently, uh, I really value honesty, and this generation, Gen Z, deeply cares about authenticity and honesty. So, I'm not going to pretend it's looking great for the gospel on college campuses. Currently, I've got a couple of numbers for you, 50. 50% of the, the youth coming to the event, uh, the March Madness event, 50% of those statistically, according to Fuller Youth Institute, will leave the faith after they graduate high school. And this is 50% of the actively involved church kids, not just American youth. Two more numbers there, um, 63 and 29. 63% of Americans broadly, Um, consider themselves uh, evangelical followers of, or actually Christians, 63% consider themselves Christians, which is down about 15% from a decade ago. People, you may know this, in America broadly are leaving the church, and it's primarily the Protestant church. Catholic numbers are actually staying pretty much the same. Um, 29% of America broadly consider themselves what statisticians call nuns, When asked, what's your religious affiliation, they say none. It's not that they're deeply um, antagonistic towards Jesus. It's just that they don't have any affiliation. And this is the context. I give you the the college campus number and then overall America because this is the context that our kids are going to college in, where about a third of the population is kind of ambivalent about who God is. And I told you I care about honesty and being real, but this is not where the story ends. Amen? This is not where God leaves us. Amen? Our God is one of resurrection. Our God is one where he might see a college campus where the vast majority are just, eh, spiritually ambivalent. But we serve a God who I read in Genesis 1, when there was nothing... When there was Tohu Vavohu, the Hebrew says, when there was this inky blackness, nothingness, my friends, what does God do? He speaks existence, everything we've ever possibly known. God creates out of nothing. This is a core tenet of what we believe. God creates out of nothing. And so the college campus is more than nothing. And so like praise be to the Lord that he can move on our college campuses. You can go to the next slide. This are These are signs of life that we are seeing on college campuses. I want to call out just two stories. One is up in the right hand corner. Um, This is Shannon and Lindsay, and when we were singing that song, uh, Reckless Love, it is about Lindsay. Lindsay wanted nothing to do with Christianity when she came to a local college campus. Um, She had some roots in the church but had not been engaged in years and years, and (laughs) Lindsay (laughs) Lindsay was my one last semester, last year. We had a Bible study on one of the campuses that was depressingly small, Um, there was three people who would usually come and Lindsay was one of them. And Lindsay has not yet decided to follow Jesus but she now has found a community where she can bring all of her questions about the religious background that she sees and all of her questions about the hypocrisy of the church and all of her questions about does God care for her into this community of three people as we were reading the scriptures and getting to know Jesus together. Then we've got Tamar and Isaac and Racely and Thomas over here on the left. And Isaac was raised in the church, um, but man, did he walk away from it his first year of college. And because InterVarsity Christian Fellowship existed on his college campus, he was able to find a group of peers who loved him despite his foolishness, that he, uh, his words, not mine, despite his foolishness, that loved him and reminded him that the Lord loved him. And today, Isaac is graduated. He's two years out of school. He is um, deeply engaged in his local church. He actually plays piano for his worship team. And his faith came alive because he was met with radical love of the Lord in all of his foolishness. Let's just call it that. Um, and so, my friends, this is what's happening on the college campus. Um, one of the reasons why I want, I would say I wonder, oh, y'all, I'm convinced. I'm convinced one of the reasons why so many folks are leaving the church is there is a crisis of doubt. And what I mean is students growing up largely don't feel comfortable asking questions or doubting the faith because for many of us, that's terrifying when our kids say, I don't think God is real. Or when our grandkids say the Bible isn't true. Right? Some of you even might right, right now might be feeling <gasps> like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen to my kid. But my friends, go to the next slide. This is some of the current research. This is a, um, uh, well, John Marriott with Family Life Today. It's a podcast, Family Resources. And I, I heard this about two weeks ago, and I thought it was so on point from what I'm seeing. Most young folks who grow up in a Christian home have to decide to follow Jesus three times, or at least two. Now, I'm not speaking heresy. Salvation is once and forever. It is is faith and not works. But the experience of following Jesus, I think, has to come through a couple crisis points, and that's often where I meet them in college, when they've left their home and the tradition that they're part of, and they're asking all kinds of questions. And at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, we give them a place to doubt because I am so sure of God's sovereignty and Jesus' love for these students that I'm not afraid to hold them in their questions. Next slide. What do we do at University Christian Fellowship? We are on college campuses and we do three things. We have meals together, we pray, and we learn to study scripture. And if you think about college students, everybody has to eat. I tell even my busiest students, there's a couple dance students over at Dean College, and they have rehearsals and they have shows, and I remind them that everybody has to eat. And so why not do it with a friend? It's one of the most effective ways of outreach. You read the scriptures, Jesus is always eating and drinking with people. So we do that. We have meals together. um, We host Bible studies, and they are built so people who don't necessarily follow Jesus can feel included. They're called inductive Bible studies. And then Man, we pray, friends. We pray. We pray for our friends. We pray for the campus. We pray for the students' siblings who are in the hospital or parents who have marriage issues. Like we, we pray. And there's a quote from one of the students. Her name's Juliana, and what, this was what she said about why she wanted to be part of Intervarsity. And um, Juliana is uh, she has been in the states for about three years. She's from Puerto Rico. She said, I'm doing God's purpose to show my friends who he is. I want them to meet him. So next slide. I wanted to show you specifically what's happening over at Dean College, these students who want their friends to meet him. This is the first meeting of the semester. Um, you see three of the student leaders, uh, Maddie, who's all the way on the right, and then Nick and Diego kind of towards the middle. Um, these students have owned this mission. They want their friends to know him, to know the Lord. And I, without a lot, a longer story, which I don't have time for today, I can't explain to you how unique the ministry is over at Dean right now, because it is rare that I see students actually so excited, They might be excited but they just don't know what to do. The students at Dean College are excited and they are taking initiative to do outreach on campus, to continue meeting as a fellowship, to have those meals even when they don't necessarily have a lot of time in between. Um, And so I wanted to give you a picture, friends, so you can be praying for these students. These are the missionaries at Dean College right now. These are the students. We have students who are involved in the dance club, a business major, students who are connected to the LGBTQ group on campus, and a student athlete in this picture. They are reaching every corner of the campus in a way that I can't, in a way that you can't. So please be praying for this fellowship, um, and hopefully in the next coming days, or in the next coming weeks, you'll actually be able to meet a few of them. Many of them didn't know that Bethany Community Church existed, and that's – I'm going to own that. That's my bad. Um, but I'm very excited to, um, to hopefully strengthen this, this connection in the next um, few months. So next slide. I just wanted to thank you, Bethany Community Church. You have been – even if you don't know it, you have been investing in students like this for the last three to five years. Um, I know at least some of your pastoral team have been praying for us. Some of the, the gifts to the missions, um, the missions budget goes to supporting me and other campus ministers, specifically building student communities that catalyze movements on college campuses. This is where some of your giving is already going to. And so thank you. Thank you for giving so that I can be on campus that some of these students can hear the good news of freedom in Jesus. Um, and there's also, um, Pastor Jason, for um, the first year that we were at Dean, was serving with us um, over at Dean College, and so there's potential for other volunteer opportunities in the future, but I just wanted to, to, to land and to wrap up with such gratitude for you, the local church, for caring for those even like 16, 17, 20-year-olds in your midst, um, those college-age And one invitation is um, if they end up, if if you hear them with one of those questions of doubt, just hold it with them and trust the Lord that he is going to shepherd them back into the kingdom. Um, So thank you so much for your your partnership. And Pastor Jason as well. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much. I actually... I remember I, I called some uh, some friends of mine who work at InterVarsity, and I was like, hey, there's this campus near us called Dean. I want a group. And it's awesome to see that God is still doing something, um, even in the middle of um, with COVID and wiping out a lot of in-person meetings. It, it You know, um, the kingdom of God is pretty resilient, so... Um, so today we're talking about, um, I'm always a big like, what's your why, right? Because at the end of the day, the actions that you're taking, that's like, we got to know what I'm supposed to do, but why am I doing this, right? And, and I remember like when I was a kid, how many of you guys grew up in an evangelical church, whether it be AG or, or some kind of like, it wasn't, a, how many of you grew up Catholic, right? Well, did you guys... I'm not Catholic, so did you guys talk about missions a lot? I know, like, pequeño, all right. When I was a kid in the AG, so if you don't know about our tradition, Assemblies of God is, first, there's a lot of things we're known for. Um, some of them are like our charismatic background, but the actual, like, one of the core tenets of the Assemblies of God is Missions. Big missions and a lot of it, indigenous church missions. Go into a community, build up the indigenous church, get out kind of thing. So missions was a huge thing growing up. And we used to have this thing. It was called, well, it still exists, but BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. It used to be called Missionary Crusade. I think they got rid of that word for certain reasons. <laughs> but when I was a kid, it was Boys and Girls Missionary Crusade. We had this incredible, incredible mascot called Buddy Barrel. Um, as you can see, he's holding up the entire world, <laughs> every nation. Uh, you know, I remember like <laughs> seeing this terrifying um, visage coming through. <laughs> 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 this, this was our carrot. We had these. This is our buddy barrels. This, I remember. Uh, oh man, oh, who was it? Was it Rick? Would wear that costume. (laughs) Uh, Either way, missions was a big thing. Every week, we'd bring our buddy barrel. We'd put our change in. We'd bring it in. You know, we'd be supporting. And I think the 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 topper is like the missionaries, right? So (laughs) this was what we would get as a reward. Hold on, don't put it up yet, because you'll ruin my comedic timing. (laughs) This would be our reward when we would be giving to missions. We might get some candy, but. This is what we really wanted. That's... (laughs) Sick missionary trading cards. You can buy the entire collection on eBay right now if you're interested. You can buy all the missionary trading cards. Um, This is what... And and there's stats and everything on the back, by the way. (laughs) So here's the deal. That's my context for missionaries. Right, me growing up, right? You know, you hear this verse, right? Matthew twenty eight, nineteen. Therefore go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see that's the missions verse, right? Missions was like, I think we talked about missions every single week in kids' church growing up it was like 50% of the program was talking about missions. <laughs> Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I just know, like, n- nowadays, it's not really like that. Um, you know, because cause I'm talking like old school missionaries, right? Like, Bible translating ones. Like, you know, the ones that were like cutting their way through the forest. not these namby-pamby well diggers. Like, we're talking like going into the darkest heart of Africa, cutting their way through. Like I'm thinking, these, are, these people are like superheroes, brokering peace with some neighboring tribes by relating the story of Jesus to some story they used to have and doing all this crazy stuff. But By the way, a lot of these people are pretty... Go back to the card um, for me. They, they, I, I don't know why I pictured these people chopping their way through the forest, because there were like 85, all of them. <laughs> so I look at these cards, I'm like pretty spry. <laughs> People were pretty awesome. But here's the deal, though. They were like superheroes to me. Like, they could do anything. They were like immortals or something, you know. And, and if you've ever met a missionary, like, like, they're kind of ageless. I don't know how they pull that off, because what they're doing is some of the hardest things. But these are like, you will meet like 85-year-olds who are so pumped about what they do. And still to this day, like, if you meet um, Aunt Sandy, right? Like, she could definitely take us all out. <laughs> Not just with her hair, but, like, <clears throat> these people were cool. And I was impressed by them, and I held them in high regard as a kid. And the idea of missions was, um, like, a really important thing to me. Like, for me as a young person, I didn't, I didn't have a context of Christianity without missions, like, it was, like, well, okay, you pray, you read your Bible, you do missions. Like, that to me was Christianity. And, and as I got older, though, something kind of happened. Like, you kind of forget about the barrels and the costumes and the missionary cards. And, you know, you start questioning a lot of, what are we really doing here? Like, is this even working? You know, like, I know for me, as I get older, as I got older... I would start to think about missions work. And I never was like, I don't like missions. I was never one of those people who are like, don't give it to those people. It's a scam or anything like. But I remember thinking like, if we're doing all this, why does it feel like the world is getting so much worse? Like, why, why is this working? Like, and in some ways, I was kind of right. We already mentioned some of the stats, but it's like, in the U.S., Christianity is shrinking. Like the U.S., Christian majority has been shrinking for decades. If you don't know this, like basically like Pew research in 2020 says that 64% of Americans identify as Christian. That's identify. And we're going to get into the difference between identify as a Christian and, and do the things that you, we would consider to be associated with following Christ a little bit later. But five years ago though, or five years before that, it, or 50 years ago, sorry, not five. I was like, wow, that was a really precipitous drop. <laughs> 50 years before that, it was 90% of people identified as Christians. Now, I have something. I have a lot to say about that too, because I, I tend to think it's like, what does that mean though? That being said, I think it's irrefutable that, um, you know, there's something going on in our, where we live, in our home. Um, And it's not wrong for us to sometimes go like, maybe we should put more emphasis on that, right? I think it's okay to look at America and say, maybe that's the mission field, right? It's okay, but it's also great to still invest everywhere, because guess what? The good news is, all this missionary work, because many of you don't understand this, the 20th century was a revolution in the gospel. It was the most um, effective transmission of the gospel in human history, the, um, those that were identifying as Christians, there are more than 2.2 billion, I believe, around 2010. There were 600 million in 1910. That's bananas. Like, like in America, if it wasn't for um, Latin American immigrants, Christianity would be shrinking. We're importing Christianity right now. Because of that, we exported it at one point. So I want to say this: great work, missionaries, mind-blowing. Like, the fact that we did missions work when, earlier is the reason we're still persisting. When we, and God knew. It's not up to us, the fact that God called us to do these things. But it's pretty amazing. But it's also, I get why it's kind of frustrating. I get why it's discouraging when you don't see what God's doing in your backyard. When you, when God is, it's, oh, that's great for Costa Rica, but what about me? Like, and it's hard for me to even step outside my context. If you, every day, um, I'm assuming most of you have jobs. You know, if you don't, there are plenty of people who are stay-at-home moms or they're students or whatever. But a lot of us, no matter what you're doing, you have stuff to do every day. You're busy. You're not getting up in the morning and going like, ah, Today's looking pretty busy, but at least the churches in Africa are growing. <laughs> like, I mean, most of us aren't doing that. You know, so... I, I think for myself, and I think a lot of us, this feeling of being kind of disconnected from what God's doing, from missions, Um, if you feel that way, if you are like, I can't believe they're doing four weeks on missions, they're going to talk to me another week about missions, Um, right now we have, I think, about 20% participation in the campaign, uh, i 'm not saying that 's like definitely not saying that to shame people, I, but I know like the average Christian is not psyched about missions it 's not at the top of their prayer list, and a lot of that has to be built around I think just a lot of us we're we 're just trying to struggle to get through the day. you know and i have and I can relate. you know, I think missions just doesn 't have the shine that it used to have. In the American church. Um, some of it is like when you feel like you're, 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 we're the best. We're the most Christian nation. We have to export how awesome we are around the world. That can feel pretty good when you're on the winning side, but when you kind of feel like, eh, things aren't going so hot at home, I, I definitely think that contributes to it, you know. But I also think it's just how we talk about it and how we think about it, you know. Um, you know, what used to be like a weekly talking point in our churches, it's no longer that way. You know, kids grew up when I was a kid, and, and, I, and I'm only 40, right? So like that wasn't, and in my context was probably different. There are probably plenty of churches that didn't grow up this way. We're looking up to these missionaries, loving them, and, and it, I don't believe that's really happening. And, and I think there's also a phenomenon which the internet can kind of make things feel like, well, why bother? Like, the, I don't need to go there. Just send them an email. <laughs> like, I'll just put up a website in their language and then do a psyop on social media, to l- tell them all about how great it is, and we'll get it out there, and that's missions work. You know, it's like, I don't believe that's true. I don't think you can replace the obedience of that commandment where Jesus says, go. Um, and I want to make the case for going today. And I want to press upon our hearts that the importance of, and the necessity of people following the Great Commission in an explicit way, by the way, that's just like, yeah, I go every day by not turning off my automatic giving. <laughs> Which is good. Thank you. Please don't do that. <laughs> you know, by the way, unfortunately, the call... The call to go, it is more than just these sick missionary trading cards, but I think we should bring those back, because <laughs> they were pretty awesome. So the first point I wanted to talk about is, well, why go anywhere? And as I said before, it's kind of easy to lose sight of that commandment. Um, I've been there. I have felt that way. If you are hearing that commandment and you're like, eh, like if I tell you like, God loves you and he believes in you no matter how much you send. I am going to get a t- I didn't get any because you knew I was being a little sarcastic. But I'm telling you, the American church loves that. We love that we are God's little favorite. And he's looking at you. And guess what? You are. That's the cool thing. But, um, but missions is very much kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, if you're not seeing a problem, you don't fix the problem. Like, how many of you guys have ever had something break in your house, but you kind of fixed it? You're like, like, I, I got this, like, part in my boiler, in my um, boiler, not boiler, I don't know, furnace right now, and I, I'm, I know I need to replace it, but it worked this year, <laughs> so I'm not going to replace it, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it, and I think missions are the same way, it's like, you know, we just don't put pressure on things that, that seem to be working, and it's, and it's hard because missions is so abstract, and you're not doing it, and I'm not doing it, like, like, when are we done with missions? When is it over? When did we accomplish, like, did, okay, we did missions. Like, if it was just an effectiveness thing, well, the 20th century, we did it. We did missions. The whole world's heard about it. We don't need to keep, right? No, that is what it is. But I get why, like, from people like me, I'm very much like, did I win? Did I win missions? When do I win missions? I just want it to be over. Next thing I want to do I want to win missions, and if I can't sweep the devil out of the building, it's kind of like, uh, can we just do something? Like, let's just do a personal transformation. Like, let's let's focus on that. You know, and man, like, talk about overwhelming, too, with missions. Like, right? this mission, the mission of missions is, like, insanely daunting, like, in like an ever-increasing scope, right? It's just if you're, and I'm saying all this to say, if you're feeling like disconnected from this, I get it. I get it. It's, it's hard to even define. It can be easy to question what Christ meant by go and make disciples of all the nations, and who he's even talking to, like, well, that was, that was for those disciples, or that was for the missionaries, or who, who is he telling to go? It's so easy to kind of lose sight of all that stuff, and and I kind of felt prey to that, and I just couldn't get excited about it, really. Like I was just kind of like, I remember like meeting missionaries and being like, "Why are you home more than you're even on the field? Just go." Or like you want, you just want more money out of me, and you know, like I don't know. Like I can remember feeling that way. And I remember one time I I I, I took um. You know I, I feel like. At one point in my life, I took Matthew 28, and I kind of reinterpreted it to fit my life and my world, what I, what I needed to do, or what I felt I needed to do. And I remember a specific season in my life where God started kind of to deal with me. I want to read this verse again. It says, when the, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told him to go. More going, by the way. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, like I said, this is the OG missions verse, not very original of me. Um, You know, we can't all be Pastor Phil quoting 75 college intellectuals every single sermon um and I, you know i i was i'm pretty basic and and so you know it's just a kid's church first right but i wanted to go back to that place for me right because that's when like missions was super meaningful to me i remember being a kid and and i think a lot of times that's what god wants to do in our lives right Is like essentialism like what is essential again Go back to that place. And, and for me, I remember reading this verse, and, and it stuck out to me one day. It's like Jesus and his disciples that love all together, or Jesus and his disciples that he loves, that are all together, kind of, a lot of people would say, well, maybe like this was during the, Ascension. It's not quite clear exactly when he exactly said it. But it was towards the end of his time with his disciples. This is like one of the last things. This was after the resurrection. One of the last things Jesus wanted to impress upon these people that he loved was, hey, all this stuff we talked about, do this though. Like, like famous last words. Right? Go into the world and tell people about me. Go. Go do it. He literally, like, invents missions as his, like, last miracle, besides, like, lying into heaven. That was a joke. (laughs) Um, As a Christian, by the way, I cannot, I always think about the ascension. I'm always like, what was actually happening there? Was, like, he literally just floating? Did they, like, stand there until he was out of their sight? Like, ah, man, I want to go back to that time. Um... But he, he, he gives it to them as like his last words, his most important thing. And I remember thinking like, wow, like that was like the, the most important thing for him to let them know about. And to let me know about. See, Jesus wasn't commanding the disciples to go. He was commanding me as a disciple of Jesus to do that, to take part in what he wanted to do, to take part in his mission. And I remember thinking, like, I think, like, I think I was wrong. (laughs) I think I should be more excited about this. If Jesus was so excited about it that he was like, one more thing before I go. Have you guys ever one more thing before I go with someone? Before I go, don't forget to do X. Don't forget, like, these are important things. If they don't happen, something bad will happen. Like, and that's what Jesus did. And when I think about this, it's like, it's not just a, um, it's not about a goal. It's not about overwhelming the world with our strength or winning an argument or stopping the decay of society or any of these things that missions can feel like imperative. And there's a lot of great stuff. We're supporting like international justice mission. We want to stop human trafficking. We want to do justice. But I'm telling you, that is not what the purpose of it. That's not what the commandment was about. The commandment was about obedience. Just like any commandment Jesus says, "Is will you obey me? Will you be like me? When I think about missions here at BCC, I think it's easy to miss the point of why we must go. Um, we want to see lives change. We want to see wells dug. We want to see people taught scripture. The things that we're able to do here with BCC um, are amazing. C&E is amazing. But, the core command of the Christian is to obey Jesus and to be like Jesus. You know? And this command... You know, it sparks courage in our hearts to do missions. Of course, it inspired our pastor to build this church. Inspires our pastors to do C and E and to keep going, right? And of course, you guys led it. We're so grateful with the partner of this partnership of this church. But guess what? This command to go—it's not just inspiring all the actions that our church is taking. Um, it actually could change your life, like your life. And I think a lot of us are looking to change our lives by improving our moral performance, um, by understanding more, by knowing more about God, by going to more events. And, and a lot of us need to imp- actually become closer to God by just doing the things He does. So, why not just go for Jesus? If Why go? Why we must go is because we need to know him. You need to know Jesus. You need to know what he's like, you know? Why? Because when you go, he goes too. Wherever you go, he says, "I will be with you even to the ends of the earth." That's a going command. You go, he goes. You so many people, they the amount of people who've said to me, "I just don't feel God." It's like, "Okay, Well, where are you? Well, you know, every day I watch Netflix, and I go to work, and I drive to work, and sometimes I even listen to a Christian song when I'm driving, and it's so great. And then all the things in my life just, and this is like, there's a lot going on around this. The pressures of this world, they come, and they kill what God wants to do in your life. And I'm telling you, sometimes you have to extricate yourself from an environment that he's not in, and and put you somewhere where he is. And I'm telling you, yeah, you can clap about that if you want. Yeah, I'm not saying quit your job. I'm saying participate in some going, and you'll feel his presence. And, you know, there's a book uh, Phil Cook wrote called The Way Back, and so I'm going to steal some of his stats. Um, I want you to see this. Prayer, only 63% of Christians say it is essential. This is crazy to me. That's not who prays. That's who, if you said, is prayer essential? People who call themselves Christians, we're not 100% agreement in that. That's crazy to me. Church attendance. The bar is so low that a regular church attender is described as someone who only attends 19 times a year. They, throw up, they show up three out of eight Sundays. That is a regular church attender in the modern church. Um, Bible reading. 40% of church-going Christians read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. And I would say probably most never. Rarely, maybe. They definitely don't know what it's in it. <laughs> that means when it comes to the primary book kind of informing us about who God is, about the universe, his remarkable plan, Missions, all this stuff, um, Christians think so little of it that we never read it. Tithing. Uh, We we don't have to necessarily even get into this one, but (laughs) it's pretty brutal. Fewer than 10% of church or give 10% or more. Now, we understand this is a complicated thing um, because they didn't have taxes in those olden days, and there's a lot going on here. So there's a lot of grace for giving, and anything anyone can do is amazing. I would just say, let's imagine it's not even 10%, just regular investment financially in God's kingdom. If you by the way, our church is incredible about this. So thank you so much. You guys are amazing. I'm just kind of laying the land for the what the American church is going through. Rough so, like the summary, roughly 75%. 5% 5% of the, those of us who identify as Christians are not attending church regularly. One of, ones of, of us who do, only 40% or 40% of us aren't reading the Bible at all, and 90% aren't tithing anywhere near the level the Bible instructs. We're not even talking about fasting. We're not even talking about missions. We're not talking about all this, like, ooh, the advanced Christian stuff. It's like, oh, you know, once we get through Christianity 101 and believe that prayer is important. A modern American Christianity in a nutshell is all talk, no action, big hat, no cattle. You know, and I don't say that to shame or embarrass or even motivate you. Honestly, I don't care. Just, it's the truth. Take it for what you will. If you're part of the solution, great. If you're having some of the issues like I convict you, apologize, it's over. Guess what? You just say, oh, God, I don't want to do it anymore. It's just truth. Many Christians are not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, and that's the point. It seems, you wonder why church is shrinking? You don't do the things that make you experience God's presence. Why would you want to go to church? It stinks. I don't want to go to something that's just someone talking to me for 45 minutes about something I don't care about. If you, like, someone teaching you about God's word, if you love God, it feels like life. But if you don't care, you're just checking a box you're definitely not going to be given admissions. Why would you? You know? So the truth is, if you want to be close to God, go where he goes and do what he says. And, and all of this stuff is about you having the thing you say that you want, which is God's presence. Everyone who comes to church is like, I want to be closer to God. Almost every person who comes to church, that's why you're doing it. You're trying to get something out of him. I'm telling you, That's great. God wants to give you the fullness of his presence. He does. Part of that is doing the things that he asks you to do so that you can be where he is, in his presence, in his proximity. Be with Jesus. Know Jesus. Know his heart. Feel his love. If you're you're struggling with that, I'm telling you, apologizing to him for the thing you did last week, every single week, until you die, is not going to get you there. That's not what it's about. God will take you in your brokenness and do missions with you. How awesome is that? You don't need to check the box first. You can just go. Literally, the Bible verse. Jesus went and he talked to them and some doubted. I'm pretty sure all of them still died as martyrs, except for John. Who doubted? Which one of them didn't? Follow through. It seems like all of them did. That's amazing when you think about it. How many of you are in here doubting and you're still going to give it all for Jesus and experience Him in His fullness? He can still use you, and He wants to. And if you want to be close to Him, go. Get involved in missions. If you want to experience the power of the Spirit, get into a situation where you actually need it. Yeah, come on. Right? That's what it is. If, and that's what we're talking about today. And finally... Go for the one. We've talked about this a lot. God's been speaking up, I think, through this sermon about one. One of my greatest frustrations with the whole mission thing is simply that my perspective was off. I was trying to win this battle. Win this war. Like, when I I remember going to inter-varsity groups and thinking, like, this is pointless. There's four kids here. This is stupid. Why are we doing this? And 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 you just it's such a like a worldly way of looking at stuff, and it. But it it's so like I, I keep bringing it up because like some of you haven't, haven't tried like haven't tried yet, and, and so you should try. Those of you that have tried and you're tired, it's okay. I'm telling you, a lot of us get tired of doing what God asks us to do, and we have to reorient ourselves with that kingdom mindset and not look at it through earthly eyes. And you know. But I felt that way because the scale was so grand. It was so big. It's just like, it's hard. I'm an entrepreneur. I like winning. I like profit. That's how I think about, like, math. Missions is tough for me. Like, I have to make it something that I have to do. And, um, and that's when I know, like, hey, I know I want to be close to Jesus. That's been a great thing for me. But I remember finding this verse and again this is not this is not a deep cut from the scripture <laughs> but I think it's appropriate and and it says Luke 15 now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them then Jesus told them this parable and he actually told them a lot of parables about this like four parables in a row so but this is the one we're familiar with suppose 100 of Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that the same way, there there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. You know, and, and this is definitely like Jesus really actually is super into the 99 people who don't need to repent he celebrates you he does he, he that's I think some people get a little bit like um they dismiss the 99 the 99 are awesome you're the 99 we're grateful for the 99 but that satisfaction of doing a mean like it's a feels like meaningless like one sheep like in reality who actually cares about that sheep like why why does he even bother it's like he because he loves that sheep you know it's not because it gives him so much profit when he sells his or he's like this is the most magical sheep the most important sheep it's part of the flock. He needs to get it to back together. And the idea of missions is often presented as, like, winning the world, right? And it's interesting because Jesus himself really focused on people. Like, like it's almost like, like they would always be like, Jesus, but what about, like, the Romans? Like, how are we going to, like, you're going to replace them, right? Like, if you read, this is the exact problem that the, the like, the people of Jesus' time also had. They wanted to win. When are we going to take these Romans out? That's, why do you think they're celebrating him? When he comes in the doors, they're thinking, we're, this is a coup, we're finally going to wipe these people out, we're going to win. And God's like, look at that leper. Look at this person. Look at, like, he sees all the people. You know. I want, to put, I want to tell you a story, and then I'm going to be done. Um So the other day, um, my wife comes home, she works at the Blessing Barn, which is a mission. You know, I know our church, we kind of like, I think we a little bit take it for granted that God is using us to do such incredible things. We're featured on the news all the time, or're speaking to the Beacon Hill Women's Foundation. like we're, we have so much influence guys. God is using us in such incredible ways, and we have amazing staff. But man, it is brutal—brutal brutal work. And um, I see it firsthand when my wife comes home, and is just my mother. These people are superheroes. They work so, so hard, and people are so mean to them sometimes. <laughs> it's a retail store, so. And I, I, and you know, my wife's had this terrible day. Um, a lot of days in that environment are pretty brutal, like I said, because people are not nice. And she's at the store, and she's about to leave. And as she's about to leave, this woman's like, oh, can you get her? And she, <clears throat> my wife goes up to her, and she says, uh, hey, I wanted to talk to you. She says, five years ago, I, um, I came in here, and I was very distressed. And and I don't know, I don't remember actually remember the story if she had asked or if Marilyn had asked, but... She said, you prayed with me because my sister i had just came here after I dropped her off at an abortion clinic. And I was praying that she would choose life. I was so sad about this. And you prayed with me. And she said, and I want you to meet this. This is Carter. And she's like, yeah. And she says, you know, um, I adopted him. She did choose life, and um, thank you so much for praying for me that day, and I believe that God answered your prayers, and you know, when I, I I remember hearing that story and thinking like, well, it was kind of all worth it, It doesn't really matter, every, all the brutality and the moving boxes and every single day, and just even like um, the emotional distress of carrying that cross would would we raise $50,000 just for Carter? We would. We would. We would. If it was just that one person whose life we saved, we would do it. And so that's why God, that's why Jesus wants to, us to look at one person. Because when you look at people, it's easy to not care. If I said, you could save 50 orphans, you'd be like, okay. If I say you could save Carter, and you did, you will get behind that. And I'm telling you, you got to see people if you want to support missions. You have to look at individuals in the eye. You have to understand God is not just asking you to go and translate the Bible for a tribe. There's a person in that tribe who needs to know God's word. There's a kid in that campus, one kid. And that's why we go. So who's your one? Tell them. Go tell them. Just figure it out. <laughs> Go tell them about Jesus. God loves them. <laughs> but also, I want to pray for this offering because I want to pray that God would put it upon people's hearts. Um, I'm, a, I'm like, a, like my dad always be like, ah, 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 don't say that. Because <laughs> he knows I'm like a little, off the, a little out of pocket sometimes. Um, and he's, he's much more of like it diplomatic person (laughs) and that's great by the way we're 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 lucky to have a pastor who's so empathetic and and caring um so i don't want to shame anyone but i know we can do better than 30 percent participation because i know more of you need to do this because here's what i actually care about as a pastor I, i i do care about missions but you're our flock i care about you and when I see low participation in missions, I think discipleship is needed. People are not as close to God as they need to be. This is a breakthrough thing for you. If you don't participate in what God does, you will not be close to him. And so, yeah, I'm sure there are situations where um, maybe God will not call you to give to a missions fund. So I'm not making it some... Hey, you don't do this, you're going to hell. Nothing like that. But I am saying, just knowing people and knowing how discipleship works, that when people do the things that God is asking them to do, um, that they tend to be blessed in a way that means closeness to God. And that's what I want. More than growing this missions fund, More than hitting that $50,000 mark, I want a church of people who are experiencing the fullness of what God is doing by participating in saving someone like Carter. So, who's your one? But also, every single dollar we give to go. It's not about transforming Dean, but maybe one or two of those kids who are going this year. Are going to make that full decision to follow Jesus. Maybe they'll be pastors. Maybe they'll raise Christian families. You know, we won't know unless we go. So let's go. So I want to pray for you guys and then um, we're going to have um, just the, let's pass the plate. Let's get going right now, guys, and come on up to the front ushers. <clears throat> so grateful for these awesome ushers, by the way. So awesome to have people who serve every week. Um, dear Lord, I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you move in our hearts, that we would go where you go, that we be where you are. Um, if we're disillusioned, if we're not excited, if we're not pumped about missions, um, just kind of put a person in our mind. Imagine one kid in the Philippines, one student at Dean, one person who walks into the blessing barn, who just needs someone to pray with them about their sister who's about to have an abortion. Put a person in our mind and not just a big amorphous blob. God, pray that we go for one and not just focus on the big picture. God, help us to think the way you think. You see people. You don't see big numbers. You don't see crowds. You see faces. God, thank you so much for our church. Thank you so much for missions and what we get to do. Amen.